Hello, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and welcome back to the Faith Podcast, where we talk about God, Jesus, Christianity, and so on. Um, today we're doing a sermon, obviously. I just want to say, first of all, sorry, I know I've been uh, gone the last few weeks, I know I haven't done anything, so I am sorry about that. It's just been a bit, it's been a bit hectic the last two or three weeks, so sorry about that, but we are getting back into the swing of things now, hopefully. So we're going to start off today's sermon, as we usually do, with a prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask you to guide us through our lives, Lord. Keep us from willful sins and transgressions, Lord. Protect us from evil and keep us from temptations, Lord. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I got a part of that prayer from the 19th Psalm, in case anyone was wondering. I might start doing that a little bit more, taking um, bits from the Bible and putting that into prayers. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. So I'd like you to please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews to chapter 12 verses 28 to 29 where you'll see it says Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. So today's topic is reverence to God. I feel that it's important for us to talk about this because so many people today fail completely they just completely and utterly have no idea what they're doing they they're just horrible at showing reverence to god there is a growing belief in modern christian uh, christianity uh, which i like to call the god is my pal way of thinking <clears throat> this belief is based in biblical principles sort of but then it the kind of it's also based on the lack of reverence basically the pro- uh, uh, thought process tends to go something like this God is a very personal God. He's not like any earthly king or ruler. Earthly kings and rulers don't tend to care about the people they rule over on a personal level. God, however, does care. He cares about everyone on a very personal level. You can be emotional with God in a way that you can't with any ruler on earth. And that's the kind of the basis of it. And so far, so good. That's all biblical. That's all good. But the conclusion that some people come to because of this is far from biblical. Some people think that because God is very personal and he cares very deeply for people, he must be a best friend. And so that's how people treat God sometimes, as a best friend, as a buddy, as a pal. They do not treat him as the creator of all things, Lord of the universe, the Prince of Truth, the King of Kings. To these people, God is just one of the guys. This way of thinking is horribly disrespectful. To put it into perspective how off this way of thinking is, let's look at how God was treated by people in Old Testament times. So first, um, I just want to explain something. Um, scribes, basically, in those days, no one could read or, uh, or write. And the very few people who could all became scribes. That was their job. So... And this was even, like, we know, obviously, back in the day, poor people couldn't read and write, and educated people could. Even back in the day, educated people couldn't read and write back this far. As well, and as well as what I think in New um, Testament times as well. Uh, no one could read or write, and the um, educated didn't bother to learn. They could have, but they didn't bother because they knew if ever they needed to read or write anything, they would basically just get scribes in. And so, and people didn't always use the same scribe, and sometimes scribes would edit um, text slightly, and they wouldn't copy down word for word. And that's not to say... Things are copied down wrong. It's basically for a modern day comparison. It would be like me dictating to a scribe. I'd say Jim went down to the shop. And the scribe went. Jim went to the shop. You know excluding the word down in that sentence. Doesn't change the sentence. So that's sort of the 
type of changes that might be made in texts and that's also why if you look at the writing styles throughout a lot of the Old Testament books some of them seem to have been written by different people the answer is that even though they were authored by the people they claimed to be they were actually penned by different people so that's just something I wanted to explain there so anyway when these authors of the Old Testament like Moses and so on were dictating um, the Bible to the scribes they would have to stop every time um, whenever they wanted to write the name of God they would find a new writing utensil, they would write down the name of God, and then they would throw away the new t uh, the writing utensil and just carry on writing. That's how much um, reverence they gave the name of God. No other word in any language throughout all of time was or ever will be worthy of being written down by the same pen, by or whatever, that happened to at one stage write down the name of God. And this, by the way, this was quite a waste as well when you think about it, because the name of God is only four letters long. The name of God um, is now known as the Tetragrammaton. I think I'm saying that right. In Hebrew, um, the four letters are Yod, He, Wa, um, He, which translates into English as YHWH, which is where we get uh, Yahweh from, or JHVH, which is where we get the name Jehovah from. Um, and the reason that we... It went from just being the four letters to being the full names is because when the books of Moses were being written, Hebrew was such a young language, it didn't even have vowels yet. So anyway, not only that, but the Jews, even to this day, Jewish people to this day, refused to say the name of God out loud. They treated and tr uh, still treat the Jews, they still treat the name of God, just the name with such reverence that some people believe the Tetragrammaton, um, that being yod he Wahi, is in fact not the name of God. Some people believe that the scribes, when copying the text um, from one tablet to another, deliberately wrote down the wrong letters so no one would know the name of God. Why would they do this? Well, so if no one knows the name of God, no one can say it without reverence. That's how fearful they were of people saying without reverence. And by the way, um, I'm saying that that's just a theory. I'm pretty sure there's absolutely no proof for that. That's just something that kind of people came up with. But it, it isn't. If it is true, it's an interesting thing to think about. I don't think it's true, but but it's still an interesting idea that a theory like that come from the the fact that that like, that's how much people showed reverence to God that they might have altered the Bible. Um, basically so that's just something to think about and, and you think about all that and then you know you fast forward today to today and you have people saying um, daddy god when they're praying and so on and I'm not one to judge people for prayers lord knows I'm not the best at praying if I have to pray in front of someone oh I just stumble over my words and I make such a mess of it I'm not great but even I know not to say something as bad as daddy god that 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 phrase makes my skin crawl if I'm being honest now, if we go to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We are not to speak about God without being reverent. We're not meant to take his name in vain. And again, this is just his name. This isn't even God himself. This is just his name. That's how much powerful, that's how powerful, sorry, uh, God is. That's what, how much power uh, he has and how much respect he deserves himself that even his name deserves this much respect even jesus spoke to god with reverence i mean surely if anyone has the right and the authority to speak to god in an irreverent way it's god himself but no jesus always showed reverence to the father 
when teaching the disciples how to pray, for example, he starts off by addressing him as Father before recognising his position in heaven. This is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, our Father who art in heaven. He then uh, says uh, that God's name is hallowed, meaning made holy. Again, the mere name. He's so powerful that his mere name is holy. Again, we see... Like, sorry, then Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. He is acknowledging um, God, still demonstrating in his prayers that God's will is important, that God's will takes priority above everything else. God's will is the focus. It is the will of God we must follow, not the will of man. He then says, on earth as it is in heaven, meaning heaven is perfect because of God and God made the perfect earth. But we, through our sin, have destroyed the earth and caused it to fall. And so we are to try and live out that perfectness that's in heaven on earth, even though we will inevitably fail. Um, just knowing from the Bible, we will inevitably fail. We will not see perfection until we get to paradise. But that shouldn't stop us from trying. That shouldn't make us lazy. That shouldn't make us not want to try. And then, and only then, after he has said all of this, does he start to ask for stuff. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is symbolic. He's not actually just asking for his daily helping of bread. Instead, he's asking the Father to provide him what's really important. So bread, in this case, is symbolic of what's important. He elaborates on this in the next verse when he asks for forgiveness of sins. Now, it's important to note, remember, this is not Jesus asking for forgiveness of his own sins because he doesn't have any. He is perfect. He was perfect. He was sinless. He is sinless. He is God. He does not have sins that need to be forgiven. The reason he says this is because the entire prayer is, like I said before, meant to be him showing the disciples how to pray. Now, this might lead some people to think that that's the only reason Jesus was being reverent to the Father in his prayers. Perhaps if he wasn't trying to demonstrate the proper way to pray, he would have been less reverent. Now, whether or not this is, um, in particular point is true, it really doesn't change the fact that we are still supposed to show reverence to God. Whether or not Jesus did it, in this demonstration he shows reverence to God, so we are still supposed to show reverence to God, whether or not Jesus did. However, there is still proof that Jesus shows reverence to the Father. I don't believe, like, I don't believe that he was ever reverent to the Father. I don't believe that. Anytime he seems to be talking to or about the Father, he's always shown being reverent. An example of this is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verse 39, which says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. In this verse, Jesus is praying and asking the Father if it is possible that he might not have to go through what he is about to go through, that being the horrible beatings and whippings and the floggings and the mocking and the persecution and eventually being nailed to a cross and being left for hours to die. However, even despite the desperation, despite the turmoil, despite everything that's going on in his mind, despite knowing what's coming, he still makes sure to show reverence to the Father. Now, it's a short prayer. He doesn't get into the whole who is in heaven and so on and so forth, but he does to show reverence. Firstly, like I mentioned before, he addresses God as Father. He addresses God by his proper title. He then makes his request. However, he doesn't demand anything of God. Instead, he asked if it was possible, then let it happen. He's saying, God, you're in charge. If it suits you, if it suits your plan, if it suits your will, 
then please let it come to pass. But if not, if it doesn't suit your plan, if it doesn't suit your will, if it doesn't suit you, then that's okay. Let it happen. Your will is important, not mine. Jesus is asking for something big. He's asking to not have to go through something horrible. But he also accepts the fact that he probably wouldn't get what he wants. And he acknowledges that in his prayer. And he's not upset about it. Well, obviously he's upset about it. But he doesn't act irreverently upset about it towards God. He says, do you know what, God? It's your will. I will follow your will. If it suits your will, please allow me this. And if not, I will do your will and not mine. So whether he was demonstrating how to pray to his disciples or conversing privately with his father, he always made sure to show reverence to the father. If God himself would not speak to another member of the Trinity without reverence, then why on earth should you? What gives you an excuse to speak to any one of them, to the father, the son or the Holy Spirit without reverence? Remember, the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We are meant to be reverent towards God. God himself would not be um, irreverent to any other member of the Trinity. If he doesn't have that right, I promise you, neither do we. Now, part of the reverence and respect we must show God is fear. If we go to the book of Job, chapter 28, verse 28, it says... And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Then in the 25th Psalm, verse 14, it says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will shew them his covenant. And then again in the Psalms, in the 111th Psalm, in the 10th verse, it says, The fear of the Lord is, begin is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments is praise endureth forever. That last one you've probably heard a million times. The fear of uh, the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we are meant to have a, a healthy fear of the Lord. The Bible is very, very clear about this. We are meant to fear the Lord our God. And some people might say, well, why should we fear God? Isn't God meant to be our loving? Yes, it's true. God is love. But look at it like this. Let's say you are a child. And there's this big, fancy, expensive vase up on the table in your house. And you come along and you break that vase and it smashes into many pieces. And it was a family heirloom for thousands of years in the past. I don't know. Now, obviously, you're, you're going to be a little bit afraid of your parents' wrath, aren't you? You're going to be a little bit afraid of their anger and the fact that they'll likely punish you. Of course you will. That doesn't mean you don't love them. That doesn't mean they don't love you. That doesn't mean your relationship is irreparably damaged just means you've done something bad and now you must face the consequences. In the same way, we as bold children who keep messing up should fear God's righteous judgment. But of course, no true child of God will see God's full judgment because the full judgment of God is damnation. In the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. True children of God will not see the full wrath of God. The true children of God will not see the true wrath of God. That's not to say we will face absolutely no punishment for our sins. 
in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7 it says if ye endure chastening God dealeth with you as with sons for with sons is he whom the father chasteneth not God will discipline us for our sins but he does it because he loves us and wants to see us improve let go back to that example I gave a minute ago let's say that child broke that vase you broke that vase and your parents are like oh you you know and, and they just they were fine with it and they let you go well you think okay it's all right to go around breaking stuff you know you'd face no consequences for it you'd face no punishment for it you'd see no reason why doing that sort of thing was wrong because no one would get the point of cross across to you that doing such a thing could be wrong so you think it's all right to go around doing this it's the same i think with sin god allows us to face a little bit of punishment proportional to our sin because the wage of all sin is death and it doesn't just kill us for our sins thankfully um even though we deserve it and of course it's the death on earth and it's the second death which is damnation god will give you small punishment for your sins on earth i do believe that i do believe that he gives his children small punishments for their sins on earth but he does this, I think, to get us back in track, or on track, or however you say it, to get us back to where we need to be. He doesn't do this because he's cruel, because he sees that we've messed up, and he's like, right, okay, punishment time, I like punishing people, or whatever. That's not that's not God's mindset. That's not what he does. That's not why he does it. He does it because he loves us, and he wants to see us improve, and he knows that if he wants to see us improve, that means he'll have to see us stop doing the bad things that we are doing. And in order to help us stop seeing the bad things that... Um, uh, sorry, in order to help us stop doing the bad things that we are doing, sorry about that, he must help us to see the consequences of those bad things. There's a, a saying when it comes to judgment in Christianity, it's, you know, people say, your oh, Christians shouldn't judge or whatever, and they usually get that from misinterpreting Matthew chapter 7. Um, and the response is usually, it's much better that you face my judgment now um, and change rather than you don't change and face God's judgment later. It's it's a similar situation here, I believe. It's better we face these small punishments now, realize, hey, I've messed up, I'm doing something stupid, I'm doing something wrong, I need to stop, rather than keep going unmolested in our sins and unchallenged in all the bad things that we're doing, only to then face the proper punishment of sin, which is the second death. So now you might be asking you, you might be asking yourself, why on earth should we worship God and show him reverence then? I mean, sure, you say this is how you do it, but you haven't told us why. The simple answer is because he is who he is. God is good. He is faithful. He is the prince of peace. He is the foundation of justice. These are traits of his personality. These are who he is. This is the way he works. He is kind. He is loving. He is comforting. He is just. These are the way he works. This is how, this is how he does things, basically, based on these um, personality traits. He is also God. The creator of all things. This is who he is in terms of his characteristics. He is the Lord. He is the creator. He is God. King of kings and Lord of lords. He is uh, infinite. He is all of these things. He's omnipresent, omniscient, so on and so forth. The characteristics, sorry, the um, the personality of God, who he is as, well, I'm not, not a person obviously, but you know what I mean, his personality, the way he does things, make us love him. 
his characteristics being God, you know, the rule of the king of kings and so on and so forth. They, those things make him worthy of worship. His personalities make us love him. His characteristics make us worship him. You put his personalities and his characteristics together. And that is why Christians love to worship him. But part of that worship is showing reverence. That is not optional. If you want to worship God properly, you have to be reverent. God loves us, so we love him. God is righteous, so we fear him. God is God, so we worship him. And when we worship him, we do so with reverence. I think that is fitting that we end today, um, that we end today's sermon, sorry, with the Lord's Prayer, seeing as how I brought it up not too long ago. So, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Thanks for all uh, listening to the sermon. I'm going to just chat for a little bit now so you can leave if you don't want to hear this. So basically, yeah, sorry I was missing the last two weeks, guys. I think it was two weeks or three weeks at this stage. I'm not sure. So, um, recording this on the Saturday, I'm hoping to get it up on the Sunday because uh, that's part of the new schedule I've decided I'm going to go with. So I have four series. Those are the sermons, the um, misunderstood Bible verses, just chatting, and the Dante's Inferno. So the plan for now is that sermons will be on Sunday. The misconce- uh, the misunderstood sorry, Bible verses will be on the Monday. Um, Dante's Inferno videos will probably be sometime during the week. I'm not sure yet. Like Wednesday or Thursday or something like that. We'll see. Uh, probably won't be Tuesday or Saturday or Friday. But, but we'll see, like I said. And the just chatting videos then the fourth series. That'll kind of just be whenever I can get someone on who wants to come on and talk. So there'll be no set date for that. So I'll just kind of do that whenever. So thank you all for listening and I haven't really got much more to say so God bless you all.